Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be here, to be here at ASI, Scandinavia. Thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together in your name. And Lord, we pray now that you will pour your Holy Spirit upon us and that you will guide us in this workshop session. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and minds and that you will open um, our hearts to what you have to say to us through your word and through these experiences that will be shared. Lord, I pray that you will unite couples together that can be a force for good in this world, that can go out and make a difference for time and eternity. Lord, I pray that you will unite families and that they may display to this world what it means to love you and honor you Lord, I pray that you will raise up families that will be a witness of the power of the gospel and the power of the three angels' messages. Lord, we're living in a time where we need this. We need a testimony of what you can do and what your word can do. And so I pray that even through this time that we will spend together, Lord, that you will do something supernatural. Lord, as we look around us, we see so many marriages fall apart. We see families crumble and Lord, it's, it is at this time that we plead for the outpouring of your latter rain, that we plead for your spirit so that you can do in families what you have designed to do for families. And I pray these things in your precious name, amen. I hope you uh, had the time to just read the uh, description of this workshop, and I just wanna read it again because I think it summarizes kind of the direction that we will be uh, heading. How can we draw from each other's strengths as a couple or family in order to reach out in ministry to others? How can a family unit be synced into an effective evangelistic team? How do we balance work and family? This workshop will provide inspirational insights as well as practical examples from a couple who have worked together in ministry over the last 15 years. Discover how your family or future family can be focused on our father's business. And perhaps I should just uh, begin by asking, how many of you are married? Okay, how many of you are not married? It's almost 50-50. Well, that's good because um, this workshop was not just for, for couples that are already married, it was also for singles that are thinking ahead, planning ahead, that want to one day get married if the Lord leads in that direction and that want to be an effective evangelistic team together. Um, how many of you are both married and have kids? Okay, also a few, good. All right, um, and so I, I hope that, um, that you'll get something out of, uh, of our time together here. Uh, a little bit background to begin with. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, my name is Daniel and I was born in New Zealand. My parents are Dutch and they actually immigrated to New Zealand. And I was born there in 1980 and grew up there for the first nine and a half, almost 10 years. And then my parents, they decided to move back to the Netherlands. And so I moved to the Netherlands when I was about 10. And then I spent about 10, 11 years in the Netherlands and uh, so I have two nationalities. I'm a Kiwi in New Zealand, New Zealander, and I'm Dutch. And, but when I was uh, 21, I decided to go to a Bible school, which is similar to some of the Bible schools that, have, uh, that you've heard about here. It's a one-year program, very similar to like Matheson. And, and, and I was there, um, and after that year, I got into ministry. And um, shortly after I got into ministry, I married my wife, Sylvia, and we married in the year 2003, so this is 15 years ago, 
And we started a ministry together, which we called Living Water, which many of you have heard about. And since then, we have been in ministry together. Uh, so that's just a little bit of, uh, of, of, of my background. Sylvia, she grew up in a, a mission-oriented family, and she was uh, from already a very early age engaged in, in ministry. And so she has a very, um, you could say, Adventist background, whereas I do not have so much of an Adventist background. My mother became an Adventist shortly before we left New Zealand. So I was 10 years old, my mother becomes an Adventist. Uh, my father did not become an Adventist, so I grew up in a little bit of a, you could say, divided home. Uh, one foot in the church, one foot in the world. And, uh, but I took that decision myself to step out into ministry when I was 21 years old, and that's when I also um, uh, went to this uh, Bible, Bible school and got into, into ministry that way. But I remember very well that when I finished uh, this ministry, uh, mission school and I wanted to work for God, that um, I, was, I was looking at how I could best use what God had given me to, to glorify him and to spread his message. And um, it didn't take long as I got into ministry work to realize that I needed a helpmeet, that I needed someone by my side. Um, it was... Um, in 2002, so after that year I was at that school, I uh, got the opportunity to work as a Bible worker in the United States, and so I went to the United States and uh, I started doing like Bible work there and looking for Bible studies and people to study with. And um, I also got Bible studies with, with ladies. And uh, when I was in engaged in these Bible studies, anyone that has given Bible studies will know that it's not just about passing on some theoretical truth to someone else, but as you give Bible studies, it involves much more than that. You know, there come questions and counseling and, and all these, you kind of like enter a little bit into the life of the other in seeking to help them. And uh, it didn't take much time until I realized, <laughs> um, I need some help here. You know, here I am, uh, you know, a, a, a guy, a bachelor on my own, 21, 22 years old. What do I know about life? And, you know, what do I know about marriage? Nothing. And um, I remember at this time, I got to know Sylvia at this uh, mission school, and so we, we, were, um, uh, we were writing to each other. No, no, no smartphones at that time, you know, like writing cards and stuff, like letters. Some of you think, well, what's that? We actually wrote letters to each other. And so I'm in the States and she's in Norway and we're writing to each other. And I remember very well writing to her and just telling her like, yeah, I, I think the Lord has a plan for us to be in ministry together. You know, I'm, I'm trying to have Bible studies here and some of the Bible studies I have are with ladies and there are some things, if you would just be here, you could help me because I don't know what to say or how to go about this and it's kind of awkward at times. You know, um, I think we can be a lot more effective uh, together. And, uh, and so after my time ended in the, in the States, um, I, moved back to, uh, I moved to Scandinavia and uh, we got married in 2003 and started working together and immediately I could see like, that the Lord was in this because we were a lot more effective together than, than I had been on my own. Uh, there was, it's just interesting how God opens up when you get married that you can suddenly um, work a lot better with more people. Uh, when you're single and you're a Bible worker uh, or you're working in ministry, there's a certain amount of people that you can reach, but when you're married, you can suddenly reach a lot more people. You can, you can start talking with people that have marriage problems because you're married yourself. You can relate to it a lot easier. 
Uh, and I found out later, but I'll come, back, I'll come to that a little bit later in this seminar, that even having kids has again opened up new fields. Uh, and so God takes the situation where we're at and he uses that to, to reach others. But um, uh, it hasn't been without challenges, and so I'm gonna share a little bit about that too. But as we got started in, uh, in ministry, we, um, we started focusing you know, on, uh, on helping people and ministering to people, and we would come very often into situations where um, there were specific needs that Sylvia could meet, and other situations where there were specific needs that I could meet. And so we felt very early on that the Lord had led us together for a more effective ministry. But before I get more into sharing some of these experiences with you, I wanna say that this is quite rare in our time. I have looked at a lot of, uh, I've followed a lot of friends and I've, I've followed a lot of situations where people get married. And do you know that many times the opposite takes place? that someone is single and they're on fire for the Lord and then they get married and then that fire is suddenly gone and they're occupied more with their spouse and the happiness of their marriage than the glorification of God and the spreading of his message. And there was actually a passage that, um, as I was preparing this seminar, that um, I was thinking about and I wanna share with you that, and before, we sh- before I read it, I wanna just give a little Um, I wanna say something about this passage. I believe that this passage is a description and not a prescription. And I think you know the difference between that, right? I don't think that the passage that we're about to read is that that is how it has to be, but I believe that the passage we're about to read is that this is what many times unfortunately happens, okay? Okay, so the passage is, if you got your Bible or whatever device you're using to read the Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. And you know, whenever, if ever you have been to a marriage seminar, this is the text that no one will read, okay? This is like the chapter you will avoid on, by, by all means in a marriage seminar. I mean, if there's one chapter you will not go to in a marriage seminar, it's 1 Corinthians 7. It's like, if you know what 1 Corinthians 7 is about, you're like, why are you going there? Uh, but I have a reason for that, okay? 1 Corinthians 7, verse um, 32 and 33. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 and 33. Listen to what Paul says here. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. Unfortunately, my friends, this is very, very true. I have seen it on multiple times. A person is on fire for God. A person wants to serve God the rest of their lives, wants to be effective in ministry, and then they get married. And after they get married, yeah, that ministry was maybe not that important, and that calling, yeah, maybe it was just my youthful ignorance, maybe I was just a little bit passionate, but you know, real life settles in, and so you get married, and suddenly when you get married, it's, it's less about pleasing God, it's more about pleasing the other, 
And you want to have, and now your goal, instead of to glorify God, has become a happy marriage. Do you know that happy marriages are sometimes idols? I mean, it can be an idol to say, I want a happy marriage, and so you, you just invest in the happiness of one another. It can become very, very selfish. You know, on Judgment Day, when God comes back, he's not gonna ask, how happy have you been? You know, because we think, well, we, we had a happy marriage. No, what God is gonna look at is, did you have a Christ-centered marriage? Did you have a marriage that glorified God? Did you have a marriage that, that was effective for the ministry? Did you have a marriage that, that displayed the gospel and its power? Did you have a marriage that, that preached the three angels' message? Did you have a marriage where your talents and time and resources were synced together to be more effective for the cause of Christ? That is going to be the issue in the judgment day. Not, oh, I see you had a lot of vacations together. I see that you know you really liked each other, you smiled a lot, and uh, you pleased each other. And I think too often that has become the end goal, to please the other. Oh, I have a happy marriage. Do you know that happiness is a byproduct? But if we put Christ at the center of our marriage and we pursue the mission of God together, then happiness will come but it will, become, it will come because we are together focused on Christ. Are you with me? So I wanna talk here a little bit as we get started here about the difference between a God-centered marriage versus a self-centered marriage. And I think this text that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter seven uh, gets us started, gets us thinking. I'm gonna read it again here. Listen to what Paul says. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. How many of you are unmarried here again? Okay, do you care for the things of the Lord? Praise the Lord. Uh, but, and how we may please the Lord, but he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, how she may please her husband. I, again, I say this text, I believe, is not a prescription, it's not how it has to be, it is a description of how it too often is. And uh, I'm gonna share with you some other texts as we go along where, I, where, where we see that there are other texts that clearly show how, how it, you can have a Christ-centered marriage. In my experience, my marriage has helped me to be more effective in the work of the Lord, but too often marriages make people ineffective. They are now rather focused on the other than focused on the cause of Christ. You know, we should put God first and everything flows out of that. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be added unto you. So, what, what, is, my, what is my first love? What should I put first? I should put first Christ. I should put first God. Right? I, I hear people say, and I, I know what they mean, and, and, I, and I kind of understand where this is coming from, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later in this seminar. I hear people say, yeah, but I put my family first. And, and, and I know that that, that, that sounds good, and, and in a sense, there's a lot of, there's a lot of importance in that, but, but let's be very careful. I, don't, I do not put my family first. I put God first. Because when I put God first, Actually, that's the best thing I can do for my family. Are you with me? 
The best thing that I can do for my family is not put my family first. It's to put God first. Because when I put God first, then I can be the greatest blessing to my family. If I really, really want to love my wife as best as I possibly can love her, it's not by loving her most. It's by loving God most. Can you say amen? When I love God most and when I put Christ first, then my marriage will be happy as a byproduct of my happiness that I find in Christ. Because then Christ is my fulfillment. You see, here it comes, and and listen very carefully. Where is your fulfillment? If you try to get your fulfillment from your spouse, then your spouse will disappoint you. So if your expectations are on her or on him to meet your happiness, that is going to be a difficult marriage. And there are far too many of such marriages. We enter into a marriage not as a biblical covenant, but as a, as, as a worldly contract. And we say, okay, I marry you because I'm lonely and you're gonna help me with that problem because now I'm no longer lonely together with you. I am gonna marry because I, you know, I, have, <laughs> I have a problem with uh, pornography and you're gonna help me so that I don't have that problem anymore. And uh, I have a problem with, um, I- I'm just not happy, but you're gonna help me because you're gonna make me happy every day. And you know, I can't cook and you can cook, so you're gonna help me with that one. And so you have all these expectations that young people have and then they enter into a contract and then soon enough the contract fails because the other person cannot live up to these expectations and the problem becomes worse and worse because then we think okay I need to find someone else that can meet my expectations and so you move to the second marriage and that's why second marriages break up far more uh, uh, easily or far more frequently um, because you've already had someone that didn't meet those expectations, now you're moving to the next person with the same problem that you're bringing into the second marriage. So, but, but the, 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 the biblical model here is not a contract, it's a covenant. And a covenant is not just between two, it's, it's, it's between three. There's a text in Ecclesiastes chapter four and verse 12 where it says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And you know who that third cord is? It's God. So if you have a God-centered marriage, you're not focused on, getting, on having expectations that the other person has to meet, but now you're, you're focused on God fulfilling your greatest needs. And when God fulfills those needs, you will be able to, to, to you will, can, you will um, flow over, you will be overflowing and be able to give what God has given to you in that marriage. You know, I think uh, a lot of times we're so focused on ourselves. And there's so, many, there's so much talk about my needs and uh, what, 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 what I want and the other person has to meet those needs and, and I have my rights and I have my voice and I have my feelings and, 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 and he or she has to listen to my feelings and listen to my rights and, 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 and fulfill that which I am lacking. And do you know, and we'll come a little bit further into the seminar, we'll talk more about this, but this is where submission comes in. Because we feel in a marriage that we have so much right and so much, so much, so much that the other person has to give us instead of just kind of submitting to, 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 to God and to his way and to surrender those rights for the cause of Christ. I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get along. But there's a big difference between a God-centered marriage 
and a self-centered marriage. Our marriages are covenants with each other and God. As I said, marriage is not a contract. We too often treat it that way. There is a mission that we are on together. And you know, when you are on a mission together, it's like you don't have time to fight because you're on a mission. So uh, there are people to reach. There are, there, 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 there are places to go. There are, there are things to do. And so, uh, you know, I think many times idleness or not having a purpose or a mission in life leads to us be rather focused on each other than on the mission. And when we're focused on each other and we have expectations towards each other, then problems are gonna rise. And, and we try to solve it by kind of sitting in a circle and holding hands. The way that you can solve a family problem is not just sitting in a circle, and there might, there's time for sitting in a circle, don't get me wrong, but if you just sit in a circle and hold hands and you're like, okay, let's, let's really try now. We're gonna love each other. Okay, are you ready? Hum, hum. Let's really try this now. We gotta have a happy marriage. Do you love me? Oh yeah, I really love you. I love you too. Oh, I have these great feelings right now. We're having such a good time. Do you see us, Lord? Look at our family. Oh man, we live, we live here all by ourselves. We never meet any people because the world is evil, but we have a happy marriage. Marriage. Can you just feel it? Where do you find that in the Bible? The Bible talks about having a mission together. You're on a mission, and when you're on a mission, you, you, you are focused on that mission together, and that will bind you more than anything else can bind you together. Is it important to sometimes have quiet times? Yes. Is it important to sometimes withdraw yourself to be with your family? Yes. But if you don't have a Christ-centered marriage, a mission-oriented marriage, then you're going to get tensions because you are so focused on each other rather than being focused on God. There is, and, and this is the punchline, there is something bigger than the two of you. If you're a couple together, there's something bigger than just you and her or, and, and, and you and him getting together. There's something so much bigger going on. You're part of the plan of salvation. And your marriage is to illustrate that. Your marriage is to, to demonstrate what that means to be united in Christ and have a common goal. The couples that lose the game are the ones that fight. And we just don't have time to that. There will be a day that we will celebrate. There will be a day when we collapse into the arms of Jesus when this race is over. But until that time, let's, let's run together. Whoever may become your partner, if you're not yet married, make sure that it's a partner that loves Jesus more than they love you, that love the cause of Christ, that you can unite together and run the race. And as you run that race, oh, you will find happiness. As you run that race, you will experience love. You will experience God's blessings. You will have a happy marriage, but it will be a byproduct. It will be a byproduct of your common focus, your vision together to have a Christ-centered marriage and to make him known in this world. We are pairing up to run together and win souls for Christ. We don't have, high, we don't have time to fight. We just have time for high fives now and then. Wow, did, did you see that? Did you see that pure person being impact for the gospel? High five, let's go on. Did you see, did you, oh, that conversation was so precious. High five, let's move on. Amen? You know, um, when we uh, started ministry together, Sylvia and I, there, um, there, were, there were tremendous blessings that we experienced in working together. 
and being able to meet a wider variety of people than we, had, than we were able to impact when we were single. But uh, of course, there are challenges along the way because you, know, you, you need to think of it a little bit like this. If you have a, a sports team, right? A sports team is focused on uh, making goals, right? And, 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 and on uh, winning, winning the game. Um, they're not going to win the game by just, you know, holding hands in a circle. They're going to win the game by strategizing together, syncing their abilities together, and making sure that they are most effective as possible for the cause. And, um, and when they do that, um, they find that fulfillment in that. And, and, and in a marriage, it's, there are similarities. Of course, we don't want to draw this, this, this too far, but the similarities are there because we are teamed up, so to speak, to... A common, for a common cause. And, and we have to play well together. You have to learn how to play well together in order to make goals, in order to um, win the game. And, and that doesn't happen immediately because you, when you get married, you come from very uh, different backgrounds and uh, maybe you've already been in ministry together and you have a certain way of dealing with people and a certain way of ministering and, and your spouse has a certain way of ministering and it will take time for that to get synced together. Just like any you know, team, football team that plays together, they, they, they need to really get to know each other. I know that when I'm here, you know, I can depend on the guy over there and, and, and there's a teamwork. And um, I remember when we started out and uh, <laughs> I, um, I moved to Norway, so I'm, I'm not Norwegian. And uh, so I'm already in a, in a culture that is not mine, uh, a language that I don't speak. And so I'm in Norway trying to learn the language and uh, Sylvia and I started to do ministry together. And so we had these people that we would visit and, uh, and you know, give Bible studies to. And, and so as we started out in this work, we were driving together. This was before we had kids. We were 10 years married before we had kids. So, so we were driving together and, um, and we would come to these homes and as we would then sit down to have these uh, Bible studies, I'm, I'm just learning the language, so I'm really like kind of out of it, you know? And, uh, and so she is just like, she has a way of, you know, uh, you know, very social and getting quickly in contact with people, and so, and so she's starting to give these uh, Bible studies and talking with these people, and, uh, and I'm just like sitting kind of uh, on the side there and just kind of like trying to follow along what is happening and um, not really knowing what to say, and you know how awkward it gets when, you, when you're kind of not saying anything and just the conversation is going, and you want to involve yourself, but you don't know how or you don't know when it fits, and there's a language barrier there, and <laughs> and I remember she's just like she's just like so into it that she's not noticing my problem, and uh, so she's just like ministering to these people and excited, and and this is going on like for quarter of an hour, and I'm thinking like, okay, soon they're gonna somehow kind of involve me, kind of maybe in this conversation, and then it goes on like half an hour, and then it goes on like 45 minutes. I think, are you are you are you real? Is is this serious? Like you don't know that I'm here? Am I am I invisible in the room right now? And then it goes on like for an hour, and then suddenly um, the person that she's like, you know, having a great time with, suddenly says like, oh, and who's he, by the way? <laughs> so, uh, so on the way uh, home, we're driving home. This was in Oslo, the capital, and we live about an, an hour and a half, a little over an hour and a half away. So we're driving home, and Sylvia's all happy. Wasn't that just a great day? And now, you know, the whole day I've been trying, trying to hold this, and now I just can't hold it anymore. It's like, great day? Are you serious? Like, great day? Do you, do you like to hear yourself talk? Like, what about me? 
Like, like I didn't get to say anything, you know? You think this is ministry? Like, and, and I was just like, I was so upset. And um, you know what started putting in there is like self, pride, like, like I wanna be heard and, and, and we're definitely not synced as a team right now because uh, you know, you're talking, I, I'm not doing any of the talking here. And I, I'm the guy, I'm supposed to be the leader of the home, what is this? So, and, and, and this is where it's so important that as you come together in ministry, it will take some time for you to be synced together, right? And there will be times where you will find yourself more competing than playing on the same team. And this is so important to talk about, to pray about, and to look at situations about how you can score those goals together. You know, it's not gonna be, you're gonna have to uh, see uh, the other and, and, and the other is gonna have to also in certain settings just say, okay, this is better for you. Uh, it's not about me after all, it's about Christ. So yeah, go ahead, I'll be praying for you. And um, th- th- this is not easy. So that's why I, I, when I introduced the seminar, I said we're gonna be transparent, we're gonna be open because we don't want you to think that marriage is this kind of glorified thing of working together for God. There are also gonna be days where it's gonna be difficult. But this is, this is training, right? Just like, like, just like a, a sports team trains together to know each other so they can rely on each other so that they can win the game. And so you need to get synced together in this work. And, um, and this happened over, over a period of time. Um, as um, we continue to, uh, to minister together, we, um, we also got more and more international calls. And uh, for me, the challenging time was really coming to, into a culture that was not mine and learning a new language and feeling kind of the outsider. I know for, for those of you that have experienced that, you know how it is when you come to a new country, you kind of feel, a, you feel like a baby, like I don't even know how to do the most simple things that I could do in my home country. So it's kind of a whole new beginning. That was a str- struggle for me. Uh, for Sylvia, the struggle, and I, I asked permission to share this, so we're just very open here. For her, it was more the struggle when we started international traveling because after a while, we started getting calls to do you know, evangelistic series in other countries, and we started traveling together. And uh, you know, Sylvia's a very local girl. She grew up in, in Norway, same place, same area, actually the whole of her life. So that was like her life. And now I'm taking this, this you know, uh, Norwegian, 100% Norwegian, local girl, and uh, now she's tra- traveling with me to places. She had traveled very little before she got married with me. And now I'm taking her you know, around the world. And yeah, there's some adjustments there too. Like this is different and, and you know, how do I relate to this? And, and so this was also a time where uh, we had to learn uh, to, to work well together in ministry, both in circumstances of, in Norway, but also circumstances um, around uh, the world. I, I just remember one time, this comes, comes into my mind, it's not in my notes. Uh, we were in New Zealand for a couple of months and it was, and I'd been in Norway for a while already, so, and New Zealand is my country, my, my homeland, you know, where I was born, and so I got the opportunity to do evangelism there, and I was just so empowered by that, kind of, and encouraged and inspired by that, just to be able to preach in English and not, and not like, you know, have a hard time with the Norwegian language, and so I'm just having a great time for a couple of months there, and for Sylvia, it was so, like, out of her, you know, nest of Norway that she actually just felt kind of a little bit depressed, and she even got a little bit sick, when we were there, 
And then the time came for us to go home. And so we come back to Norway. And the moment we're like landing, it's almost like, I don't know, the Norwegian air or something. She's just like totally like back to the order. And she's like super encouraged. And I became sick. <laughs> so uh, adjustments along the way. I mean, and now we, 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 you know, we minister with joy in Norway. We minister with joy in New Zealand. We can, we can cope with both. But it didn't happen overnight. There's a time of adjusting, there's a time of, of, um, of working well together and learning um, how to adapt to different circumstances and situations. Um, we, um, I wanna bring you to a text. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. I referred to this text already, but I wanna read it together with you. I'm not just, I'm not just gonna leave you with 1 Corinthians 7. <laughs> We're gonna go to some other texts here. Ecclesiastes chapter four, and uh, take a look at verse nine. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine to 12. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So 1 Corinthians seven said, you know, hey, be aware now you're occupied with the cares of the Lord, but when you get married, you can be, you'll, be, uh, you'll be occupied with the cares of your, your husband, your wife, but um, that, is, that is a description, what oftentimes happens, but it doesn't, doesn't have to be that way because two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Listen to verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. You know, it's actually interesting that, um, because then it says, for he has no one to help him, up. It's interesting because in the beginning, uh, when Adam was created, uh, Adam is created, he's been given a task, he's, he's put in the garden, remember, and, and he's to tend the garden, and then he is told that there's one fruit or one tree that he's not to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know if you've ever recognized this, but do you know that the verse after that so the verse after it says, like, okay, don't eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the verse after says, and it's not good for man to be alone. In other words, it's not good for man to be alone with that tree. He needs some help. I mean, they're, they're, together you can more easily resist temptation. Now, now, the devil turned that around, right? So God says it's not good for him to be alone. We'll put them together so they can stand firm and overcome together. Where one is weak, the other will prevail and help them. And, and the devil turns it around and he actually takes right, one of them, and uses that one against the other, so they both fall. But that was not God's original plan. God's original plan was put them together so they can be stronger against temptation. Look at what it says in verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's a beautiful passage here. This is, this is a passage that applies so much to a God-centered, Christ-centered marriage. Two is better than one. I mean, uh, two is better than one if both are Christ-centered and you have made your marriage revolve around God. Then two are better than one. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, two is not better than one if you are now occupied with the Lord's work, but then you get together and you're just occupied with each other. Then two is not better than one. Two is only better than one. A marriage is only better than singleness if the marriage leads to a more effective preaching of the gospel, display of the gospel, 
a God-centered marriage, a threefold cord that is not quickly broken. You know, um, as we uh, continued in ministry together and we started uh, traveling more and more and, and doing evangelistic series in different places, we were noticing how God was, was helping us to sync our talents more and more together. And um, uh, I, from quite early on, started to feel more and more the call to, to teach and to preach. And, uh, and Sylvia felt more and more the call to, to, to support me in that. And also, she had some gifts that really were very helpful uh, in our evangelistic work. Uh, a lot of the uh, um, slides that I used, the PowerPoint slides, she's a, she's a graphic designer, so she designed these slides for me. Uh, you know, I had one that I could just go to and talk to exactly what I wanted, and she, could, she would work on that. So, so she did all, she's done all my graphics for all these years. Um, she's very good with children, so she would do the children meetings often when we would travel. Uh, she is also uh, very good per- with personal work, so I would be preaching up front, but then when people would come and we would engage uh, with them in personal conversations, then she would help me with that, and she could, we could minister together to couples. Uh, so we, we noticed how, how the Lord was, was sinking us together uh, in this work and uh, making us effective. But I also felt very much uh, this passage here in Ecclesiastes 4 how there, there, there is that one that is by your side to help you when you feel, um, when, you, when, when it's difficult, when you're in those difficult moments. And uh, when we um, traveled to Africa for the first time, we've done a number of um, evangelistic series in Africa, but the first time we traveled there, and some of you have heard this story before, in 2005, we, um, we actually ended up getting robbed uh, in Africa. We, um, we were doing an evangelistic series in one place, and that evangelistic series lasted a whole month. And then we were planning to go to another place for the second month. But right at the end of that first month, that first period, actually it was the last night that I preached there, that very night in the, in the, in the early morning hours, uh, three men broke into the house where we were staying. They had these machetes with them. And uh, they went right through the house and they, they took all of our belongings. We, we were robbed. I just woke up with someone crying out, you know, we've been robbed and, 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 and everything was gone. And, and we had to decide what to do at that point. Like, like, honestly, I felt like, okay, this is it. Let's go home. You know, we've tried this kind of mission uh, experience, but it, it didn't really work out the way we had planned. And and now it's just time to, to, to go back because oftentimes, you know, you look at the very, uh, the magazines about mission work and it looks so glorified, right? Everyone's smiling and the baptisms and we say, okay, we want to sign up for that. But then when we're actually there, it gets a lot more, we see the real life and the real challenges. But I remember that just having Sylvia by my side at that time and being able to pray together and, and reason together and encourage one another in that circumstance, that helped me so much. And we agreed, you know, we're not gonna let this uh, hold us back. We're gonna, we're gonna continue. And so we were able actually to travel to the next place. And, uh, and I was able to preach an evangelistic series there. And, and all my stuff had been taken, you know, my, my computer, uh, my Bible, uh, my projector. So I felt like stripped of all the, the, the resources that, that I needed, that I thought I needed. 
I thought, how am I gonna do an evangelistic series without my slides and without my notes and without my Bible that always, you know, you know how it is when you have your Bible that always, you know, turns to the right page, you know how that is? And then you, you borrow a Bible from someone else and like Habakkuk is no longer there, you know? It's like, what happened? Like, and so, so this Bible, I borrow this Bible and, and, and I'm gonna like preach the message there without my slides, without all these resources I think I need, without my notes. And when I look back, I mean, it was the best evangelistic, one of the best evangelistic experiences that I had because I came before God and I said, God, I, I have nothing, but I know that you are powerful and that you can do something through me. Where I am weak, you are strong. It's like Paul said in, in the book of Corinthians, he says that the power of God is manifest in his weakness. And I felt so weak. I felt so dependent. And you know, that is often what God does to us. He brings us into a, a, a moment of, of utter dependence. He brings us to the end of ourselves so that we start looking and, 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 and saying, God, I need help. God, I need guidance. God, I need strength. And then he comes through because then the glory is his. Amen? Then you know it's the glory that belongs to him and not to man. But these are moments where, where I, I felt it's so precious to have a companion by my side, my best friend, my wife, that, that, that could encourage me in these moments to, to not give up, but to carry on. Because ministry is tough. Ministry is, is kind of, in ministry, and I spoke a little bit about this on Sabbath morning, uh, you know, you got to have the concept of delayed gratification. You got to have the concept of not immediate results. Because if you're gonna get fixated on immediate results, you're gonna give up very fast, especially if you're single and you don't have a companion, a wife or a husband that, that motivates you in the work. You're going to be out of the work very quickly. So what you need is, is, is to, to think long-term and to think that, that, this, that I'm doing God's will and, and, and ultimately the results are in his hand and then have someone by your side that can, those moments when you feel very down, that can put their arm around you and say, you know what, we decided this road together. We decided to pursue this journey. Let's not give up. You know, and there have been moments that, that, that I've had to encourage Sylvia and there's moments that she has had to encourage me. I remember our very first evangelistic series in Norway. Uh, we got married, and um, actually instead of a honeymoon, we planned an evangelistic series together. I don't recommend that, okay? Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, even though I'm very much for Christ-centered marriages, take your honeymoon, okay? That's, that's important, just do that. Don't, don't, don't feel guilty about that. Um, but, but at that time, we were like, okay, let's, let's honeymoon, you know, costs money. Let's do, use this money to do this evangelistic series instead. So, so we planned this evangelistic series, and, um, and, and we're expecting like lots of people to come, you know? <laughs> and then the first night, and we went to check out the hall, and the hall was pretty small. It was like this little uh, r conference room in a hotel, but it was not, it was not big at all. It was, it was not much bigger than this stage, actually, and um, maybe a little bit bigger. And I said to Sylvia, this is way too small, this hall. I said, you know what? We have to, you know, but, but I have a plan, I said. I have a plan. What we'll do is since we're starting at seven with the evangelistic meeting, uh, I, I know more people will come and it's totally not gonna fit in this room, but we're gonna just have the people come and we're just gonna tell them, we're gonna say, since there are so many of you here, we're gonna have a second session at eight o'clock, so I'll just preach to that first group at seven to eight, and then the others will either wait or come back, and, and then we'll have a second room that is filled up, and then I'll preach to them afterwards. Isn't that a good plan? I mean, I'm like, of course, like this will work. I mean, we've been, you know, bicycling around for a week, sharing out these flyers. Of course it's gonna work. 
Um, and so we're ready on opening night, right? Opening night, it's just like the clock is ticking and it's getting closer to seven o'clock and there's like no people. And quarter to seven, no people. 10 to seven, no people. Five to seven, no people. Couple of minutes before seven, a couple of people walk in. I think we had three or four people that first night. And I was like, okay, um, I, I was disappointed, but I, but I didn't show it, and I thought, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna preach my heart out. These people are gonna tell all their neighbors and friends about it, and tomorrow night we'll increase the numbers. So uh, I preached my heart out. Of course, I couldn't speak the language, so I'm speaking, Sylvia's translating, and the first night is over, and then I'm like anticipating what's gonna happen the next night. So the next night, as it's time, and then it's getting closer to seven o'clock, and I'm, and I'm expecting at least these three, four people to come back and bring you know, their whole neighborhoods with them so that we can still do two sessions here. And then as it gets seven o'clock, there is no one there. There was one person that came. He was an Adventist, and he was supposed to do the introduction. <laughs> so we had the person to do the introduction, we had the speaker, and we had the translator. That's all we had. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I'm starting to pack my bag. I'm, trying to, I'm packing my computer together. And the guy that was gonna do the introduction, he says, yeah, but Daniel, I, I came all this way, so you might as well preach the message for me. <laughs> and so I, I got up and I preached and Sylvia translated for this one guy. I can see it in front of me right now. He's sitting there halfway in the audience, one guy. It was kind of awkward because you kind of look at him all the time and you're like, well, might as well just sit next to him, but I was still getting up to preach. I don't know why. And so I finished that message and, 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 I'm, and, and I remember we, we drove back and we had this little cabin that we were renting for the time and it was pouring down with rain that evening. And it was like raining in my mind too. It's like, this, <laughs> this is evangelism? Like, I, I've been watching Mark Finley. I thought I, could, I thought I would be like that, you know? It's like, this is not fair. Like, where are all those thousands of people that I hear about in these testimonies? Like, this is just not working. And so we came to the place where we were staying, and I remember I'm sitting on the side of the bed there, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, it's not too late, because, um, okay, one year Bible school, uh, got married, you know, now we're doing this, this, this uh, evangelistic series, but it's not too late. I'm only, I'm only 23. I still have my life in front of me. I'm trying to like, you know, pep talk myself. Um, I'm only 23, so uh, I can still study something. I can still get a degree. I can still be engaged in some, you know, work. I have different thoughts. Uh, because I've tried this ministry thing and it didn't work. You know, obviously evangelism is not my calling. It didn't work, I tried. And I even tried, you know, I even prayed for a godly wife and God gave me a godly wife and we're engaged in the work together, but still it, it didn't work. So I'm, I'm thinking like, how can I best use my time from now on? What should I do? And then Sylvia was such a support to me because at that moment she said, but you, you know what? <laughs> there are gonna come days that you'll look back at this moment with a smile, and we're doing, we're doing it right now, aren't we? <laughs> and, and there are gonna come days, and this is not <laughs> the end. Uh, gonna come to, there's gonna come a day, and she was like speaking prophetically, like she, she's not a prophet, she's not the daughter of a prophet, she's not, but she was speaking like kind of prophetically into my life, and she said, there will be one day you will stand before thousands, you will preach before thousands. That day will come. I'm like, no, that day will not come. But you know, um, but I, I decided to, to get back up. With that support, I decided, you know, I'm gonna continue the evangelistic work. I'm not gonna give up. 
And there were a lot of things that we needed to learn because if I look back and evaluate that first series, it's no wonder it didn't work. There were some multiple uh, things that we did absolutely wrong. We were, we were passionate, but we were not informed. We were passionate, but there were a lot of things that we had to learn how to do evangelism well. But as we, as we continued throughout the years and we continued to pour our hearts out before God and, and seek to, to be well-educated from his word and the spirit of prophecy about how to go forward and be effective in soul winning, we started to see more and more results. And you know, I, I share this experience because this experience showed how we had no one coming, but let me share another experience, um, the opposite taking place. Okay, so years later, we're in the city of Copenhagen. Uh, I believe it was, yeah, 2006, we were in Copenhagen, and I was asked to do an evangelistic series there uh, with a church there, and um, I thought to myself, Copenhagen, such a secular city, it's not gonna work. Like, like preaching in Copenhagen, that's, that's very difficult. But, but I thought, okay, let, let's give it a try. And so, and so we're working with this church, we're working with context, we're, we're inviting people and, and so forth, and we're preparing for this evangelistic series. And um, we have a hall, again, a, a hotel room, and it fitted about, I would think, 70 people. And I thought, and I said to the team, uh, they were putting a lot of work into it, but I said, just put a lot of work into it, and if this hall gets halfway filled or, 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 or for 70% filled, I will be, I will be very happy. Like, like, if it will be full, I'll be very, very happy, but I don't expect that. The, 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 I, at this point, I wasn't expecting that. And, uh, and so we come to opening night, and um, we had so many people coming that they didn't fit the hall, so we had a lot more coming. There were, a lot of there were some Adventists coming as well, and so we had to have someone literally go through the room and tell all the Adventists, just whisper to them, can you give up your seat? And so they had to like, leave, the, leave the room, and, uh, and then we had, um, we had the first uh, night. After I finished preaching, the, uh, one of the hotel responsible people for the hotel there, came to us and said to us, you have, uh, you have broken the rules because the rules tell, say that you can only be a specific number in this room because of fire regulations. You have been more people in the room than was allowed and therefore we are now breaking the contract and you can, can, cannot use this hall anymore. Now imagine this, for months we've been preparing Thousands and thousands of flyers, go, of flyers have gone out. People have been invited. People have now actually come in a secular country like Denmark, in a secular city. There at last, we have now an audience of people that has taken a lot of effort to get, and now we cannot gather there the next night because the meetings were gonna continue the next evening. We have no hall. We have people that are gonna come back, and we have no place to continue these meetings. And so um, the next morning, we um, got up early, started to pray, and we started to plan. And, I, and this is where also my wife is very, very effective and efficient, and uh, so she's getting on the phone, and uh, she's like, like on the internet, and she's looking at any possibility of finding a hall in, 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 in Copenhagen, because that same night, these people are gonna come back, and so we have two challenges, really. We have a what, number one challenge, we need a bigger hall, uh, but the second challenge is to find a bigger hall in the area and then also to logistically organize to get the people that will probably come to the first location to the second location. 
I mean, this is huge. And this in one day, like we had the hours, the minutes are ticking by. So how, how, how are we gonna do this? And uh, as we're getting closer and closer to, uh, to the evening, uh, after a while, you know, there were so many, you know, uh, d- so many phone calls that were made that just didn't work. So, you know, you ask like, okay, we need a hall uh, for how many people? Well, about 100 or more. Uh, okay, so when do you need it? I need it tonight. No, no way. You have to book here months in advance and we have no spot for you. And so, and so after a while, you're not even looking at location-wise because in the beginning, you're trying to find it somewhat close. After a while, it's just, okay, if it's in Copenhagen, let's try it. So we're just calling all these libraries, auditoriums, halls, cafes, whatever we can find something in Copenhagen. And then ultimately, like this is like way in the afternoon now, Sylvia makes another phone call and she didn't actually pay attention to where this place was because that was not that important anymore. It's just to find a hall. The guy says, okay, so when do you need it? Yeah, tonight. And he says, oh, wait a minute. Um, there was a, a rock band that was gonna perform here tonight, but they, they canceled. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's actually a, the, the, there's a hall available for tonight. And then she said, yeah, but we also need it. And then she gave the dates that we were gonna have the meetings that were advertised. And then he says, huh, we actually have a quite a busy time right now, but exactly those dates are, are free. Those evenings are free. That's, that's really the only thing that is free. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you, 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 can, you can use this hall. And now of course comes the, uh, the, 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 the great question, right? So, so where is this? Do you know that it was around the corner? It was something that we'd overlooked in the beginning. It was literally walking distance. So that second night, people are coming back and we had, we had more than 100 people that second night coming and it's like, okay, the hall was too small but we're over there and they just walked and we had the meetings. So, so God can do miracles, amen? God can open ways for the proclamation of the gospel if we are faithful and what I learned through these experiences is how precious it is, how precious it is to have someone by your side that can be an encouragement in those moments where challenges set in. A couple of years ago, I was in New Zealand back for an evangelistic series in 2011. And um, for those of you that will remember what happened in, in the South Island of New Zealand in the city of Christchurch in February 2011, there was a devastating earthquake. It was an earthquake that took the lives of 200 people. Thousands of people left the city because of that earthquake. We had organized an evangelistic series. I was working together with another speaker, with uh, David Asherick, and he was gonna begin the series and then I was gonna come and continue the series. And so he was already there. I was on my way to New Zealand. And uh, I remember I landed in Australia and I was gonna get a connecting flight to New Zealand. And as I land in Australia, I heard that my flight has been canceled. And so um, I was given a, a hotel for the night. Uh, Sylvia was with me. And so we, as we come to the hotel and we, and we turned on the, the TV, we saw all the footage, the live footage of what had happened to Christchurch, devastated by an earthquake. And, I, and, and of course, we started immediately thinking, okay, well, what is gonna happen now? Like, what is gonna happen to this, with this evangelistic series? The last message, actually, that David had been preaching was, was on the Sabbath. And, and there was an appeal card and people had made decisions and now, boom, some of these people we never saw again. This just so it goes to show how serious this work is. You know, when, when the spirit is moving and God is making decisions, there's, there's another power that's at work to destroy, to, destroy, to, to, to make these, these decisions, you know, void. And so, 
The next day, I was able to get on the first flight that actually took us to, to Christchurch. We got together with, uh, with the church there and we started thinking, okay, how can we, um, how can we get these meetings up again? And, uh, and eventually, um, the, the, the hall that we were using was not affected. That was a part of the city that was, that was not, effect, not very affected by the earthquake. And uh, the auditorium that we were using was actually taken by the civil defense for some weeks because they needed it for uh, organizing help efforts within the city. But after two weeks, we were able to, um, again, rent that facility and continue the meetings. And I just remember again that, 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 that being, being together in ministry is such a support at such moments because, you know, the last thing that you want to shake is really the earth you're standing on, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, this is at least, you know, good. And, and that when that starts shaking and, every, and your, whole, you know, your whole plan starts to just crumble to bits. What a support to, to have someone by your side to pray together and to say, you know what? God is gonna lead us in this also. God is gonna help us forward here. This is not the end of the story. And so we, we started up the meetings again and we re-advertised and we, we actually called it, we re-advertised with a new title and we, and we, we re-advertised with, um, uh, in the wake of the quake, where is God when it hurts? So, you know, wake, that's like in, in the aftermath, in, after this earthquake, where's God when it hurts? And we had actually people come that didn't come before and, uh, and we were able to minister to them. I remember a couple that came, uh, Taka and Rona, and uh, Sylvia and I were ministering to this couple. We were, we were like on a weekly basis, we were in their home and we were studying the Bible with them. And, uh, and they, had, they had very many issues in their lives and, 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 we were, and together as a couple, we were able to, to minister to them and, and to work through these situations that they were going through and then to see the joy of them being baptized. I mean, it is absolutely, it's addictive. I don't know a better word. It's addictive. I mean, if you have been in the work long, if you have ever led a person to Christ and you see them being baptized, you want nothing more in your life to do. And if you can do that together as a couple, like together in ministry and just see this other couple that has now accepted the Lord and you've been studying the Bible with them and they're now getting baptized, that unites you together more than anything else. We felt so happy. I believe that a happy marriage can take place when the world is crumbling through an earthquake around you, you can have a happy, happy marriage if you're united in a common cause for Christ, amen? If you are united and you have a Christ-centered marriage. Now, marriages are, uh, are a work in progress and um, there is, as I said before, there's a time for, for our efforts to be synced together. And I wanna take you to another Bible verse then that, that I believe is very, very helpful Turn with me to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter three. I actually often use this uh, text in, uh, when I'm uh, officiating a wedding. Um, I was actually just, I was a little bit late at this conference. I came on Friday because on Thursday I was officiating a wedding in Norway and I was using this text for, for the couple that I was um, doing their wedding for. Colossians chapter three, but I think it fits so well also for what God wants to do among us as couples and families in his work. Colossians 3, and I'm gonna begin reading in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, 
meekness, long-suffering. And here comes such an important phrase for, for marriage, bearing with one another, right? There will be moments that your patience will be tested. There will be moments that, 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 that your character will be shaped by your partner, by the one that you're living together with, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week. You need to learn to bear with one another. And definitely the next phrase, you need to live, learn to forgive. If you are single and you have a hard time forgiving, you're not ready for marriage because marriage is gonna take a lot of forgiving. You're gonna have to learn how to forgive one another. If you don't learn how to forgive one another, your marriage is not gonna be a happy marriage. You're gonna, you're gonna carry those grudges with you towards the other. We must become experts in forgiveness. Forgiving one another. Listen to this. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Do you see how this connects with having a God-centered, a Christ-centered marriage? Because if we understand the gospel correctly and we understand the forgiving power, the power of forgiveness that comes through the cross, we need to understand that in order to reflect that to our spouse, to the one that we live together with. If we have not experienced what the forgiveness of Christ is in our lives, how can we extend that forgiveness to someone else? I mean, we must understand the gospel and with that understanding, display it in our marriages. Look how it continues. But above these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Do you know thankfulness is an essential ingredient in marriage and family? Like, if you can learn to be thankful, then you will really find happiness. Because, and thankful is, is, is being thankful for things that maybe we so often take for granted, right? You know, you know when, when you've been married for some years, you don't think about it so much when you wake up in the morning how thankful you should actually be, you know, with, with that person that God has led you together with or thankful for those children he's given you or thankful for that ministry that he has led you into. I mean, being thankful, is, it's, it's a state of being. It's not, just, it's not just, you know, praying for the food and thanking God for the food. It's, it's a whole state of being throughout, throughout life and, and every single day. I can walk and every step that I take, I can be thankful. Thank you, God, for leading me to, to, the, to this woman. Thank you, God, for these children you have given me. Thank you for this ministry. Thank you for this opportunity to preach. Thank you for this opportunity to witness. Thank you for the place where I can live. Thank you. For, uh, there are so many things. If you, just, if you just think for a moment what you actually can be thankful for, oh, you will be able, you'll be able to write down so many things. And it's actually good at the end of a year. We're soon moving into 2019. This is the last day of the year. It's a good time to look back. You know, it's a good time to look back and say, okay, what can I really be thankful for for the ways God has led me? And how can this give me strength and focus for that which is ahead? I'll tell you a, a quick little story here. Um, when, I, when I got to know Sylvia, just before I was gonna move to the US for this Bible work uh, project, I remember that we went on a, on a canoe trip together in Norway, beautiful countryside in Norway, and so we're canoeing together and we come to this little island. And as we come to this island, we're, we're, we're sitting on, this, on, on, a, on a rock together beside each other and just, just talking about life. 
And we're like reflecting upon how God has both led us and, uh, and I'm, I, you know, we're telling each other how, how blessed we feel by, by being in ministry and having met each other. And I, and I remember that um, Sylvia, she shared this story with me from scripture. And it's a story that you can actually, you can read it later. It's in, uh, it's in the book of Samuel. I think it's 1 Samuel 7, if I remember correctly. It's the story where the Israelites are being attacked by the enemy, the Philistines. And as they're being attacked, um, they are pleading to the Lord for, for, for courage and strength. And then God breaks through and gives them this incredible victory. And then what they do is they, 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 they take this stone and they raise it up and they call it Ebenezer. Anyone remember that story? And then it says, uh, Ebenezer, uh, it means hitherto the Lord has led us. To this point, God has been with us. And, um, and so as we're talking together about you know, how we feel that God has led so far, then um, we, we came up with this idea. Why don't we raise an Ebenezer right now? Just, you, just, just the two of us. Um, God has led us together. He's led us in ministry. And we can really say at this point, you know, this far the Lord has led us. And so, so we went around on the island and we found like a, a nice stone. And so we, 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 we put it between us and we, and, and we prayed and we said, okay, this, this is our Ebenezer. And uh, till this point, the Lord, the Lord has led us. This was an island like way out somewhere, like, you know, just this little island that we found. It was like a, it was like a complex of lots of islands. And so we're canoeing back and the next day I leave to the United States. I'm in the United States for some time. We're still in contact with each other. Then I move back, uh, I, I move back to, uh, to Norway and we, uh, we, get, we, we plan our, our wedding to get married and, um, and right like a week before we get married, I'm like, okay, what, what, can I, what can I give her? A gift that really means something. You know, not just like the typical stuff, but something really that means something. And I thought, hey, what if I go back and I go in a canoe and I find that stone on that island? What if I find that and then I write the Bible verse on it and then in the wedding I give that stone to her? Wouldn't that be awesome? I, isn't that a good idea? I mean, I mean, was I romantic or not? Okay, so, so I get my best man, my friend that was visiting from New Zealand, and we get in this canoe, and so we're like, and I'm like, and after a while we're canoeing, like, I don't know if I'm gonna find this island. There's like so many islands here. I have no idea if I'm gonna find this. But I remember the place where we were, it was like, it was, it was an open area, and it was like going right into the water, and it was very open, and, and, and this one stone that we put there, if it would still be there, we would find it. That's what I thought. And so we're canoeing and we're going a curve around an island. I'm looking, I thought it was over there. No, not over there. Okay, we continue, we continue. And then I spot the stone exactly in the same spot a year later. This was a year ago that we placed it there. So, so I get the stone and I, 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 we bring it in the canoe. We bring it back and I write down the verse on the stone. Hitherto the Lord has led us, 1 Samuel 7. And then on the wedding day, as, 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 as we're all gathered together, I say, I have my speech, my, wedding, my, my speech after the wedding, and I give this stone to Sylvia, and I say, you know, this is really, really what I want. You know, God has led us together. Hitherto the Lord has led us, and he's gonna lead us into the future. Amen? This is really, and Ellen White writes, she writes somewhere, she says, we should raise up Ebenezer in our life. Doesn't mean that you literally have to raise up a stone, but we should think about how God has led us. Because if we think about how God has led us in the past, it's gonna give us courage, for the future, amen? So raise up Ebenezer's in your life. 
Be thankful, as it says in the scripture. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, sing to each other, admonish one another, be the spiritual partner that God has called you to be to the other. I love that verse there in 16, admonish one another. You know, that's what you're called to do. If you're a couple, you are called to help the other spiritual, spiritually to grow. That's why God has placed you together. And then look at verse 18. <clears throat> Maybe we should just skip over that one or what? What do you think? Women, should we read it? I hear like two people say yes. All right, here we go. Wives, um, should I read on? Okay, what does it say? Submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. You know, we are living in a, um, we're living in a time right now where, I don't know if you've noticed this, I'm sure you've noticed this, we're living in a culture today that hates authority, hates submission. Have you noticed that? Like, like what are the structures that God has placed in order for us to be happy? In order for us to be happy, he's, he's given us certain structures, right? Like we have the structure of family. And if a family is gonna be happy, then the parents are going to instruct their children, that's what the Bible says, instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And, and, and then we have, further than the, 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 the family unit, we have the church, right? And the church is really um, made up of building blocks of the family. So if the family is happy, then the church can be happy. And, and, the, and, the, and the happiness or the prospering of the church is also built on this, on this um, uh, biblical teaching of submission. Right, we, 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 we submit uh, as in the Lord. And then you have society. And society, there we have a government. And if a government is, uh, you know, a, a government that, that um, rules a country, uh, in order for there to be safety in a country, in order for a country to prosper, and in order for a country uh, to not be corrupt, then there needs to be a government and a policing of these things in order so that life can happen at least as, as best as possible. So you have these things, these units. You have the family unit, you have the church, and you have the government. And, and, but in our time, in our day and age, in our culture, there's this rebellion against family, parental authority. Oh, what are they to tell me what to do? And then there's, there's a rebellion against church structure. Like, I don't, I don't like that vote that was taken. I'm just gonna go a different direction. We don't wanna submit. And then you have, in society, well, that's also a big problem, like, like you know, you don't want the government to tell you what to do and, 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 and these kind of things. So, so we don't want any authority over us. We don't want to submit to anything. And, and, and in this course of, 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 of wanting to be ourselves, and to realize ourselves and to not submit, we have actually come to a point where we have distanced ourselves from this biblical teaching of submission. Because the greatest, the greatest happiness is found is when we can submit one to another. And in a marriage, there, if there's no submission in a marriage, if it's all about your rights and your feelings and your voice and your expectations, then a marriage won't last very long. 
But if you're able to submit to the, for, for, for the good of all, and you're able to, to let the husband lead in the home as he is called to do, this is very unpopular to say, especially in Scandinavia, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. I mean, biblically speaking, the husband is called to be the leader of the home. That doesn't mean that he's a dictator, that doesn't mean that he's going to determine, but he should give the spiritual direction, amen? And, and if he gives the spiritual direction well and he loves his wife well and, and he cares for her, then she will be willing to submit to that because this is a beautiful plan that she wants to be part of. It's just like with Christ. When we want to submit to Christ, the plan is so good. I want to be a servant. I want to be subject to Jesus. Submission is amazing when it's Jesus is my Lord. Amen? And if the husband can, can, uh, can, can demonstrate that love in the, in, in, the, in the marriage, then it will be a beautiful thing. Submission will be a beautiful thing in the Lord. Amen? And I think that this is, we just live in a world that has got everything upside down right now, and it's very hard, and especially if you grow up in, in this continent, it's very hard to, to even begin to grasp what the Bible means with submission. But this is, this is what I'll say, this is such a countercultural truth but we need to learn to embrace it, amen? And God will bless amazingly through it. That's not to say that this has not been misused, it has been misused and, 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 and it is being misused many times, unfortunately, but if, you, if we can learn what this really means to submit to one another, if we can learn what it really means to make Christ the focus, I believe that we will find uh, true happiness in that. I wanna talk a little bit about uh, parenting, and I'm gonna give time for questions in just a bit, but um, I wanna just touch a little bit on that before we go to this uh, question time. Uh, because for in, in, in my situation, and uh, in our situation, we, uh, we got married when we were 23, in 2003, and uh, actually the first uh, 10 years of our marriage, we, we decided we would, not, we, we, we would not have children, and so we, we were very focused on mission, very focused on ministry together, and, and we're very grateful for that time that we were able to, to spend these years in traveling. It would have been impossible to, have, to do that with kids. Uh, we were able to travel lots and work together lots, and there was a kind of a freedom that we had um, that, that you just don't have when you have kids in the same way. But um, we also felt that it came to a point where, um, where we believed that we could also be effective in a different way, having children. And so, uh, you know, we gave the Lord uh, the chance, and yep, there, the first child comes. Uh, Elias is born, and uh, Elias, when he, when he was born, a year later, I actually got the call to, uh, to pastor in, um, in Bergen, on the west coast of, of Norway, and so we moved there, and so now we're in a very uh, different situation. You know, we, we've gone from uh, working independently for the Lord to being a couple in ministry, 10 years of traveling the world and preaching and teaching and counseling and uh, as an effective couple, and now we've moved into having a child and being in a pastor position. It's a, it's a, it's a new chapter. It's a different situation. And um, uh, also to find how you can work best uh, having, having children. Now, for those of you that don't have children yet, um, I know, and, and this, is what, what, this is how it was for us as well, you, you, you kind of have a picture of how it's gonna be. And uh, oftentimes that picture that you have is very different from reality. You think, you know, you, you think like, I'm gonna have the most amazing children. 
Like, you know, they're just going to be behaved all the time. And, uh, uh, and you look at other parents and, uh, you know, all parents that have, before they have children, they're a little bit, they're very easily judgmental. Oh, man, what have those parents done wrong? Look at how crazy that child is acting. And you think, like, my child is not going to do that. And then you get that child and then suddenly, like, you can't control it, you know. They have, a, they have their own will. They have their own way, you know. And they're an image of you, by the way, which is very scary. So, so you start out very arrogant. You know, we think we're gonna have amazing children, but then God, through this process, shows our weakness, shows our dependence, because when you are, I remember one of the, one of the most amazing moments in my life was when I had Elias, the firstborn. He was born, and, and it was a hard birth, and very, very, um, yeah, it was, it was, anyway, I'll spare the details. Uh, he's born, and Sylvia's being, you know, uh, taken out of the room and uh, in the bed, um, and, and then they, this, this nurse, she just takes the child, and she just, she just put it, puts it in my arms, like for the first time. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just like a little bit clumsy, you know, the first time you're holding like a baby, like, okay, like, don't drop it, you know? <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like holding this baby, and I'm like looking into his eyes, and he, and he like opens his eyes, and he looks at me, and there's like, there's a feeling that I cannot describe. It's like, there's a feeling that you can't, it's, it's impossible to put it into words. Just like you're looking at, the, you know, this, this child is made in my image. It's like, this, this is really, this is a gift from God. And so I'm, I'm holding this child, but I'm also thinking to myself, like, I am like so afraid, like of the future. Suddenly, like, suddenly, like, you know, I could, I could, you know, talk about the end time, and I could talk about prophecy and and all these, you know, ah, revelation, and then Jesus is going to come. And but suddenly, when you have a child, you look at things very differently. You're like, my child is going to grow up in this world, and uh, this is scary. This is very scary. And, uh, and, 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 you know, that's why it took so long for us to have kids, because we're like, really, you're gonna have a child in this world? But here we are, here I'm holding him, and I'm thinking like, what is, what is the future gonna hold? And, and you know what? It's a lesson in dependence. It's a lesson in dependence, because I, I, have, to, I have to think like, okay, God, I have this child, and, but I just have to depend upon you right now, that you will lead this child, and you will do something for this child, and, and that your spirit may fill this child, and, and that however long we're gonna be on this earth, that this child will, be, will grow up to, 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 to display the gospel as well, and that this, this child will, will, will be a blessing to the world. And you know, um, this dependence, I believe that this is something that, that God wants to teach us because you can't make your kids fall in love with God. There's no recipe in parenting like, okay, if you do this, this, and this, and this, you'll have perfect kids. It just doesn't work that way. Like, God lost a third of his kids. You know that, right? A third of the angels rebelled. Like, like, like when you have that child, you realize that there is no recipe. Now, of course, there are biblical principles, and of course, you're to teach your child, you're to pray for your child, you're to direct their steps and everything like that, but, but ultimately, you cannot make your child love God. It's impossible. And so you feel this dependence, and you, and you just need to pour out your heart to God and say, okay, God, fill this child with your spirit. Let this child be filled with the Holy Spirit because this is something that I cannot do. We can teach and guide, but the Spirit must take over. You know, um, the Bible says, train a child in the way they are to go and they will not depart. 
And, and, and I believe that there's something in this because you know there are two types of parenting. Let me say this quickly. You know there's these two, uh, this is a little bit of a generalization but I think it's helpful nonetheless. There's a kind of two types of parenting. You have the one type of parenting that um, you're very loose in the beginning. Just let your kids do whatever. You know you've seen those kind of parents. Like, you know, just, they'll figure it out. You know, they're young. Like, let, let them eat whatever they want to eat and watch whatever they want to watch and they're just young. And, and then as they grow up, you start tightening in. Like when they get into those teenagers, oh, hoo, hoo, this is not going for so very well. And so then you start tightening in and you become very strict parents in the later years of the child and then there's the, uh, the other model which I believe is the much more biblical model and that is and I, and I just I just quoted the verse for you there train a child in the way they are to go and they will not depart from it so in the beginning you are to train them and guide them I mean read Deuteronomy chapter 6 if you're in doubt you know, speak the commandments into their life, guide them, and whether you're walking in the way or you're in the home or wherever you are, whatever circumstance, use it in a way to, to guide the child. So, so be on top of it in the beginning, but as you then go on and the child grows up, then you come to a point where you release that child into the world to be a blessing to others. And when they come to uh, their teenage years, I believe that, that if you've trained them right, and I don't have an example of this yet, but I believe that if I train them right, then they will come to a point where, where the Spirit will, will fill them and they will be an effective witness to others. And you don't have to go around micromanaging anymore because you've used the time in training at a young age. Now, and we, we are not to stand in the way for uh, what God wants to do through, through our kids. You know, I have seen actually many parents when, when their children come to, you know, um, uh, late teenage years, early 20 years, and they decide that they want to work for the Lord. Do you know that oftentimes it's the parents that keep them back from doing that? What about get a good job? You know, you, you need to earn money. Uh, you know, what about this? What about that? You know, they want them to go the conventional route by all means. There are very few parents that are, that are willing to release their children for ministry. They love to hear the ministry reports when it's other children, other young people doing it, but when it's their child, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Um, you know, they want, they want their child to have all the financial security of the world. They want their child to have all the titles of the world. Not their child, their child is not gonna be a missionary. Whereas, whereas if, if, we, if we put God first, what should be the greatest joy of a parent than to see their child choosing to serve others? Amen? And that doesn't mean that they cannot get a degree, but uh, it does mean that they are to let God direct them, not to selfish purposes, but to the purposes of Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start wrapping this up now. Um, how do, there was one point that they actually also asked me to speak on here. How do you balance work and family? You know, uh, balancing work and family, I don't think it has so much to do with what you say no to, but rather what you say yes to. Because we sometimes think of it like, oh, don't get overworked because you need to say no to that and no to that and no to that um, in order for you to have enough time for your family and enough time for your work. I've actually learned more and more that it's not so much about what you say no to, it's actually more about what you say yes to because if you say yes to the right things, you just won't have time for other things. So it won't even be an issue. If you, if you are able to focus your life on the right things and you know what those things are, and you focus on, on that goal of, of being that family together, united in ministry and saying yes to the right things, then, then, then God can direct in that. 
And I think what is very helpful when you have children also is to find opportunities where you can minister together as a family. For example, um, recently, over the Christmas, we uh, actually organized a uh, concert at a refugee center close to where I pastor. And we had all the kids of the church and uh, they were practicing songs. And so we went to the refugee center and they were singing for these families from Turkey and Syria and and these areas and, and they're singing to these children and to these parents. So they are involved in ministry. Ministry is, you know, we, we, we shouldn't look at ministry and children should not grow up looking at ministry as ministry takes away my dad. Ministry takes away my mom. Ministry is just this thing that they're not at home for me. They don't have time for me. That's what ministry is. And then they grow up and <laughs> ministry has this, this negative connotation to it. But you know, if, you, if we parent well, then actually what should take place is that ministry is a joy. These ch- my kids, they're like involved in everything that happens. Like when I was working as a pastor in Bergen, when I had evangelistic meetings, we went together, Elias joined. Some parents would disagree because they say, yeah, but you need to have regular times where you put them to bed in the evening. We have not had regular times because of ministry. However, if I have to kind of like scale this up and I say, okay, uh, regular times of all these regularities or give them a mission focus and be, have them with me in ministry, for me, the scale kind of goes that way. And I say, okay, I'd rather have them with me in ministry, even though it gets a little bit later and he might just have to sleep in the car and we'll carry him out and put him in his bed and this has happened so many times. Okay, other kids might always have that nice, you know, bed and, and the music playing and, and, and the perfect thing. We've not had that perfect thing, but, but at least my child has seen what ministry is about. And, and, and he's been with us in it. He's been singing to Syrian refugees. He's been praying for his father when he gets up to preach at seven o'clock in the evenings. My son is praying for me. He's four years old. He prays that my message will be blessed. Do you know what that does for a father's heart? I mean, that, that's worth everything. I mean, that's why you, you bring them with you in ministry. Ministry is not like, oh, he's taking away, my dad is being taken away. Ministry is like, we're together in this. We are united in this. And that is a beautiful thing. Okay, we're going to go to questions. So, how um, um, do you and your family work together with the daily routine of uh, finding time together to spend with God individually, as a couple, and as a family? Because sometimes with my family, that can be. Um, hard to get all those pieces together before the day is over. Okay, yeah, that's a very good question. And um, uh, of course, Victor, we can relate to that because you're in the same uh, phase of life as we are. And um, I have to admit that since I had the kids, you know, the personal time, uh, the personal worship time, regular times, um, have been a little bit different. I've had to prioritize the kids' um, spiritual life and find my spiritual life in that, and also finding moments throughout the day to connect with God, because um, especially when you have babies, and honestly, for four years, you know, I've not had a night. You know, you know what that is like? The kids are waking up in the night, 
And it's different maybe from situation to situation, but for you us... Should maybe, you should maybe just add in there, if you don't have kids, I have the microphone here, yeah, just <laughs> enjoy your sleep. Yeah. It's so precious, because the moment you get a baby, it's over, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, when you're up like four times a night and then, you know, the other child wakes up at six, seven or something, it's not always that you can get up at five to have your silent time because it's just not working. You know what I mean? I mean, there are moments where you're just so dead tired. And, um, and I think it's important also to face the reality of that and to talk about the reality of that because um, in a sense, it feels like a defeat. You know what I mean? It feels like a defeat when you were not able to have that one hour in the morning before the kids woke up. But if the kids wake up, I mean and you, you, you're just sleeping until they cry, you can't just say, okay, cry for one hour and I will have my silent time in another room. You know what I mean? You need to care for that child. But then um, I think it's important to, um, yeah, to also have the realization that God knows the situation. Um, every situation is different. And like I said, uh, from the kids were very small, um, I did worship with them at that time, you know, but then on there, I mean, I couldn't sit alone, silent time, having my deep devotions for one hour while they were crying. But then I would, you know, talk to them, even read from the Bible, sing songs with them, uh, start a day with God, but maybe in a different way than what I did before I had kids. And then uh, also trying to find, like I said, a moment to connect with God. Uh, whether it is when you go with a trolley for a walk, you know, and, and, and the baby is sleeping, that you can use that as a prayer time. Um, uh, when, if, you know, if you have a sound time in the evening or throughout the day if they are sleeping, use those moments to connect with God, even though it is not as regular as you hoped for or as you were used to. And maybe I can just, maybe you can share that experience you shared with me, um, like not to get too disappointed, you know, <laughs> even if it doesn't work. And, and what you said about, you know, when you took Elias to that check. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, I remember especially, you know, being a first time mom, I, I found this hard because it was so different than what I'd expected. I had very high expectations. Um, to myself and to us as a family and as to our children. And then this baby comes along and he had, you know, a tendency to colic, so he was crying a lot. It was a lot of waking throughout the nights and even throughout the day, I felt I was carrying him all the time. And of course, I mean, you, you do get tired, yeah? And then um, I remember so well the first uh, health checkup that we were going to have together with other kids. And I'd always hoped for that my child would be, you know, the example. And then we come into the health station, and there are the other kids. And as soon as we enter the room, my child just starts, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you know, he's like seven weeks old. And throughout the whole health checkup, he's just crying, and the other babies are behaving so well. You know, and, and when, you have ki when you have kids, it's suddenly like... like Look at that child, how behaved they are, you know? <laughs> you don't see everything. Yeah, and I remember coming back home, and I just... And then, as soon as we left the health station, he was an angel, you know? And so we come home, and I just set the, put down the chair, you know, and I said to Daniel, Daniel, I really don't know what I'm doing wrong, you know? My child is the worst of everyone. 
and uh, then, you know, it's the wisdom of the man that is a little bit, you know, as women, sometimes we can be emotional, especially if we're a little bit tired, maybe, and things like that. And then Daniel says, well, you know, Sylvia, don't draw too fast conclusions. He's only seven weeks old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think those were very wise words. Um, but I yeah. think it's, it's like, you know, if, if there are times that you don't get your devotion, I, don't, I think you have to be very careful not to go around and give yourself this continual guilt trip because you, know, you have chosen to devote yourself to God. You have had these times with him. Now there's just a season that is differently with children that it will not be at that, you know, in that perfect moment in the morning and there will just be changes. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of parents go around with this continual guilt feeling like, oh, I didn't get to do my devotion this morning. Just try to find moments, even when you're with the kids, just start praying out loud. Start singing a song with them. Find ways to do your devotion in a different way um, that fits the circumstance and season of life uh, that you're in. Yeah. yeah, and I think you can start very early with that. Um, I see with, I remember with Elias, and we're still doing that, right, Elias? That we often read from the Bible together, just reading straight from the Bible. And mommy can read a whole chapter from the Bible, and then Elias says, more. And we discuss it, you know? And this is just, I'm not making children's stories. I'm just reading from the Bible, and afterwards we discuss the content, and I ask them questions, and, and we can have a meaningful conversation around that. And that is also a worship, you know? Mm. It's important to, yeah, to, to, face the, to face the face of life you're in, and to, to, to find the best way in that setting, you know? Right. And, um, yeah. and like Daniel was also mentioning, you know, in ministry, sometimes now I need to be, you know, at home with the kids. Daniel will be traveling out for, we try to take them as much as possible to be with us in ministry, but we also want to balance the stress on the kids. So sometimes I'm, you know, at home when he's traveling. And then, but then at the same time, I think it's so important to be in it together as a family. So, for example, we're at home, and then, Elias, you remember, when, when Dad is out preaching, and then Mommy says, like, um, now it's soon 7 o'clock. Oh, Elias says, then, <laughs> then Dad is going to preach. He's going to preach in five minutes, Mommy, then we need to pray. And then we run to our prayer place. We have a special prayer place in the home. And then the boys kneel down. And then Elias prays, it's hard for him, you know, to be on stage and say these things himself. You want to say what you do? Is, you want to tell them? You can say it in Norwegian if you want. That's hard. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, then he says, dear Jesus, please give daddy um, uh, power and wisdom in his preaching and may many people come to the Lord. And then he says, how many people do you think will come? And he always has the biggest faith. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe some other questions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I have a question about uh, providing for the family since yes. you guys were young and mm. how you dealt with the situation because I believe being a pastor is a bit easier but before that. Right, right. Very good question. Uh, providing for the family. I think, I think there's this, this, this um, you really have to navigate through this because on the one side, uh, obviously, the, the, the man is, is called to provide for the family. Um, on the other hand, if you have this 
calling for, for ministry and there are little funds available in ministry, uh, especially when, when you're in a startup phase of a ministry or a startup of your marriage, um, then there's this, this is fine balance and, and, and a way that you need to navigate through. But I think that it helps very much that you're on the same page because uh, if the other has a lot of expectations like, you know, uh, yeah, I need that holiday every year and I need that, you know, that wardrobe and I need those new clothes or I want to have a uh, drive in a new car and things like that, then, then I think it's going to be very difficult. But I think if you're on the same page in missional thinking, uh, and, and you know, you're in this together and you both, and that's why you need to talk about this before you get married, you know? But if you're both on the same page, like, yeah, we wanna serve God and we're willing to go on like a lower salary if that's needed uh, in order for the cause of Christ, for the cause of Christ, then, then you, can, you can deal with that. At the same time, it's very important that uh, we don't become neglectful of providing just because we're working for the Lord. And we, we should not make that an excuse. I mean, there is uh, an obligation, and I would say especially biblically on the husband, to provide for their family. Yeah. A question uh, for maybe Sylvia most, I'm not sure. Um, we know that the mother is supposed to be, or naturally is, the first teacher of the children. And I'm just wondering if you have some kind of structure for how you how you teach them different things of life and the Bible and everything, basically? Or do you just take things as it comes and point to a tree and say something about it? Or, or how do you do mm. it? I think it depends on the age. Um, mm. Because, of course, in the early ages, um, you don't necessarily, or I can just talk... For ourselves, you know, it's um, also when you have more kids, you know, they have different needs and it's hard to maybe uh, build a very rigid system around it. But I think it's very much in what Daniel was referring to, uh, what, is, what it says in Deuteronomy 6, you know, that whether you are on the way or whether you stand up, you know, whatever you do in life, you try to weave your faith into that. Um, that is what we seek to do. Of course, our life is also not the A4 life, you know, sometimes things come up in ministry and sometimes we, um, things are going different and maybe we had planned for it okay. during the day and we try to, you know, also teach our kids that, you know, we're living for other people and we need to be flexible in this, you know. Sometimes daddy need, maybe needs to be called out to do something while we had planned something together even. But when it comes to, like, teaching the kids, um, I find that the greatest uh, classroom is nature at this stage, you know, in the early stages. Um, I try to take them out a lot and at, as we're out to find, you know, parables in nature that can connect, that you can connect spiritual lessons to. Um, I think it depends on the child also with um, their interests and um, Maybe you heard these studies about how the brain of the child is, you know, maturing in different areas and that you need to um, use the moments where you see that the brain is, in a sense, um, uh, responsive or open or mature for new knowledge. And this is very different from child to child. Um, but I think it's important to use the opportunity when you see that there is an openness in the mind. Uh, for Elias, he... he um, at the moment, we have, in a sense, started with homeschooling because he's very interested in things like, his main interest is the Bible. <laughs> so we're having uh, many worships during the day <laughs> just because, yeah, he, he loves that. And, and we try to find those moments. 
Um, but then he also has interest in like things like geography and animal life, and we try to make crafts and 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 to do things connected to the the areas that he is interested in. Uh, so so just to but that can be different with different children and and you know at different it's not that this is the same for each age for each um, yeah child they're just so different so just to pray God for wisdom to find. Um, the, the, the right times to instill that knowledge. And I think the most important for the kids is really that we have a connection with God and that we are living out our faith life. Um, you know, if there are people that call us and we need to pray, we say together, now these people, you, you tell them, you involve the kids, you know. Now these people um, have these problems, let's pray for them, you know. Mm. Uh, when you're out in nature and you see something that they, you can draw a lesson from, Elias very well knows the, the word parable or lingnelse, you know, to, to draw lessons from things and, um, and tries to find that in nature also. And I think, uh, yeah, you, what Sylvia already mentioned, you, you kind of follow the interest of the child there also because the, the, I think I read a statistic somewhere that actually the first four years of a child, they are operating on genius status. Like the amount of information and things that are coming in, they, um, later in life, that kind of slows down, unfortunately. Uh, so you need to use those moments. Like, okay, what is he interested in? And then like, just, just let the world open up for him. Like Elias, at a, he's now four and a half. He loves geography. Like we sit down with a map. He knows all the, uh, you know, the, the continents and uh, he can, point to different countries in Africa and knows them already because that's, that's an interest he has. So, um, yeah, we just have to follow that interest <laughs> at the moment. Maybe we can do one more question. So now you have kids. Um, do you have some time where you just have talk? Do you have time <laughs> to talk? I mean, this is what you bind together yes. before you had kids. You yes. just shared a lot of things. Yes. And then busy time c uh, comes up, mm -hmm. then you have no time. And that's the problem with couples who are busy. Mm -hmm. And each one of you are busy. So then you can, you know, live mm -hmm. um, apart from each other and struggle alone. So mm -hmm. where is the time to, to mingle together? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think I would, I would say also that my recommendation, and I mean, this is nothing biblical or anything, but I'm just saying this, this is just a recommendation I give personally uh, to couples. Uh, I would wait with kids a few years because I think it's very important that you uh, connect together uh, and that connecting time is needed because, you know, I had, I actually, we actually spoke to a couple that were uh, family that were, they were actually kind of struggling uh, and they said, you know, we never actually got to know each other because we got married immediately. We had our first kid and then we had our second kid and then a third kid and then the fourth kid. And then when all four kids were out of the house, we realized that we actually don't really know each other because it was just hard for that connecting time. So, so I think, you know, give it, give it a few years, um, get to know each other well, have those those precious moments together and uh, because, because there will be a stage and a season and especially with young kids and we're kind of in that season now where it's very difficult to find that time together to talk and sometimes we just think like back like oh man we had such good times before that we could just sit down and talk and any and if we now get that one moment and we sit down the next moment it's ah! it's like you know because and and it's difficult but we, we try to find the moments like if we're driving somewhere, you know, usually in the cars, they, they, they sleep, especially if it's a long drive, and then we're just enjoying those moments. You know, wow, 
It's like a drive is suddenly very different. Like, oh, we have just time to talk and time to connect. And so you, you, you try to find those moments because they're, they're, they're more rare. Um, and then you, you, you cherish those. And I think it's also a season you're in because, you know, once the kids are a bit older and they're a bit more independent, then, then those seasons will come back more too. So, but that's why I think you need to be strong, uh, kind of connected spiritually with God and with each other kind of before you enter into that phase of young kids because it's that phase that is most challenging. And actually, I read another statistic. Most divorces happen at the exact stage that we're kind of in now. Second child comes into the picture, that's when most people divorce. Because the stresses of life are kind of on their max at that point, you know? Uh, And that's when you really need a a good foundation biblically with God, with each other, and you can get through that period. So, very good question, thanks. Yeah, shall we take one more question then? So how do you have time, um, how does your own personal, not ministry, but look like to win your friends over for Jesus? Like how does a social life in that way look when you're so busy with public ministry, mm-hmm. having a family, how, how does that look like? Mm. Yeah, I think, I think it's like a little bit what we, what we said earlier, like you kind of look at ministry not as, you don't compartmentalize. So it's not like ministry there, but you kind of join, you, you, you do it together, you know? And, and then you look at also things like where you can involve the kids. Like, like I said, we had this, um, this singing, you know, Elias was singing for, for the refugees and, and he's involved in it. And so then it's less of, a, less of the problem of, um, you know, um, two different things, uh, but it's, it's, it's one. I mean, like, to, to friends around okay. you. Okay, oh, okay, okay, then yeah, I understand sorry. your question. Okay. Yeah, thanks, thanks for clarifying that. Um, well, you know, I think, again, that, that's a little bit where you have the, the seasons because there's definitely a time now uh, when, when you have two young kids and there's a lot going on that there might be less times for, for friendships uh, outside of actually, you know, the family so much because it's just so busy. So I would also say, again, that's just a, a season you go through. Yeah, and at the same time, I would say it's also good for the kids to uh, experience that we are in ministry together uh, as a family and that mm. we are there for other people. Right. Um, of course, you need to try to find a balance there that kids do not feel that they are not seen uh, to uh, try to find settings where you can also minister in social settings that the kids can enjoy. And... Um, yeah, you know, there are a lot of families with kids. <laughs> so when you are in that life phase, you may be connect with families that have kids. And there are many kids also that need okay. a second home, you know. I saw it when we lived in Bergen, you know, then we lived more close to people. It was more in a city okay. setting. I okay. don't recommend that. I'm very happy we're back on the countryside. I think that's ideal. But we had kids running into our home almost every day. And we really tried to you know, give them, it was a special one girl from a broken home, and, and obviously she was just seeking the comfort of a home, you know, and um, she would come to us every day and bringing her friends, and, and we, our home kind of got a reputation in the street that this is, you know, where you can, <laughs> kind of the, the kind home, or, you know, where, where, where they could come, and where they could play, and where they could rea- relax, and I think that's also important to um, to teach the children that we are there for others, but it needs to always be under the supervision of parents because mm-hmm. we're living living in a crooked age. And sometimes I heard kids saying things that 
I thought, this is just so sad, you know. I couldn't leave them a moment, you know, alone. I think it's very important to guide the children mm -hmm. and to create those social settings but that uh, they can benefit from. But, um, mm. yeah, under the supervision of the parents. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to experience um, working for you and thank you, Lord, for the stages of life where we can work with you, for you as singles. But thank you also when you lead us to that stage of life where we can have uh, a, a partner by our side that we can work together with. And thank you, Lord, also for the stages of life where we can have the joy of children. And Lord, if you lead any of these young people here in, in these directions, I pray that along this journey you will be by their side that they will make you first in their lives, that they may have a God-centered marriage, a God-centered family, and that this may be a great testimony to the world. Thank you so much for your greatness and thank you so much for your goodness. And we thank you for your word which directs us along the way. For we ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.